In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This is the 18th Sunday after Pentecost, and we are continuing in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 21. You'll remember that chapter 21 begins with the triumphal entry, with Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Those are the lessons that we read on Palm Sunday, and so we reserve them for that special feast. After he goes into the city of Jerusalem, you remember that he goes into the temple precincts, he cleanses the temple, he uh, goes out of the city then and he goes to Bethany to stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and then throughout Holy Week he re-enters the city in the morning and he goes back to the temple precincts and he has uh, these discussions with the uh, religious leaders and authorities. They are his interlocutors and they're challenging him and asking him questions and trying to trap him and trick him. And his response to them uh, first was our parable last week about the two sons. And he asks, who does the will of the Father, the one who promises to do it or the one who actually does it? Then he has to follow up with that immediately this parable of the tenants and about uh, the kingdom of heaven being a uh, field, a vineyard. Now, be prepared. Uh, Unlike what your English teachers may have told you, we're going to be mixing our metaphors this morning. In fact, we're going to be stacking them up like cordwood. We're going to have lots and lots of metaphors, right, about the kingdom of God and our relationship with it. The Lord um, introduces this metaphor of the vineyard all the way back in uh, the readings of the prophet Isaiah. And so in Isaiah chapter 5 here, uh, at around 800 B.C., as he's warning the northern kingdom of Israel, um, Isaiah reminds the people what the Lord's project is. His project is to uh, bring about love and to bring about a harvest of love. God is love, right? The Lord always loves. This is how we know that the the Father is um, in love with the Son and the Son with the Holy Spirit. The Lord is Trinity and there's no other way for God to be loved than to be Trinity. Right? There's no other way for us to understand God because He is always in eternity love. And to love someone, you have to have an object. And so the Father in eternity has the Son to love. And the Son in eternity has the Holy Spirit to love. This is the project of the Holy Trinity. And this is His project in creation. This is why He made the world. This is why He made you and I. The, the, the secret to life is a very simple and obvious one. The Scripture says over and over again, we were made to love, to be in this love relationship with God the Father. This is how Isaiah starts out. He says, let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. And so he's being reminded of this love relationship with the Lord and his planting of a vineyard. And he introduces this parable of the vineyard for us to understand God's project in creation, right? He um, does all of this work. He invests this capital. He invests this time to uh, put the nation of Israel into the promised land. He uh, sets them in this fertile place, uh, the fertile place of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the promises that were made, the fertile place of King David, and and the the rites and the rituals of the, the sacrifice made at the tabernacle. He builds this watch tower to receive the grapes that is the the holy temple itself where the offerings are supposed to be brought he sets a hedge of protection around the vineyard this of course is the commandments right the commandments are not made to separate us from god the commandments are made to unite us to god to protect us from sin and death right beware of sin and death this protection of the commandments is placed around you and the lord's desire is to come and find people of justice and righteousness 
This is the harvest that he would gather. He would gather our righteousness and our justice. And when he comes and he finds the people of God, what does he find instead? He finds lawlessness. He finds wickedness. He finds wildness. Right? Wildness is each person going their own way. Each person following the devices and desires of their own hearts. And this is, um, this is abhorrent to the Lord because it's selfishness. Right? At its heart, it's about what do I want for me? And selfishness leads to wickedness and cruelty and death. And the Lord says he's going to break up the wall and allow these wild grapes to be run over by the animals, which we read beautifully in the Psalms. And and there's no argument about this. Anybody who plants a vineyard expecting to find good grapes would do exactly the same thing. They'd rip out those grapes and they'd let wild animals trample it. And they'd allow that earth to go back to the way that it was and to allow it to go uh, fallow until it was replanted and harvested. This is what we do because we want good grapes and we expect no different from the Lord when he's expecting a harvest of righteousness. It's simply what needs to be done. And while Isaiah's parable of the vineyard is a primitive one, if you will, a foundational one, the the parable that Jesus tells adds some layers of intricacy. It adds some layers of, of understanding. And so Jesus picks up, if you will, where Isaiah left off, and he tells a similar parable about the Lord planting his people, about him giving them uh, the traditions, giving them the commandments, giving them the knowledge of God and his worship. And then he goes into a far place and allows uh, this project to be overseen by tenants. In which case, most of us should read that parable and say, big mistake, right? Big mistake. Giving this over to tenants. What are you going to expect? These people are going to ruin it. Which of course is exactly what they do. Who are these tenants that the Lord gives it to? These are the religious authorities, right? These are the people who are in charge of reminding the people about their worship and they fail in their duty. They fail over and over again to remind the people about living lives of righteousness and justice. Why is that? Because if somebody's doing something they're not supposed to and you tell them, they're likely to punch you in the nose. Right? And so what do the people want? They don't want to be punched in the nose. These tenants want people to like them. They want people to get along with them. So they pat them on the back and they say, Oh, that's okay. I'm sure there's some reason we can find for why you could do this and why you could get away with this sin. There's got to be some loophole that we can find here so that you and I can get along. And this is what the tenants do. And so they're not giving righteousness back to the Lord. They're saying this project is ours. They decide this is, um, this is our project, right? And this is what we do. We fool ourselves all the time, don't we? We start to think it's our life. It's our money. It's our time. It's our resources. Like any of this belongs to us. Like we're going to take any of it with us when we die, right? None of it belongs to us. It's all belongs to the Lord. And as soon as we start to think it's ours to do with as we will, we become those tenants, right? Who think this is our project. The Lord sends his servants. Who are the servants? The servants are the prophets, right? The prophets come and they say, Okay, everybody remember, this is the Lord's vineyard. All this belongs to him. And what do the people hear when they hear that? They hear, Oh, you're condemning me. You're judging me. You're not being nice to me. You're hurting my feelings. And I've got a plan here to make myself feel good. And if you don't stop that, I'm going to punch you in the nose. And of course, what they actually do to the prophets is kill them. This is what they did to the prophet Isaiah. They stoned him to death for his work. And this is what Jesus says. He says, they will kill the servants that are sent. And then the master of the vineyard will send his son, the heir. And many people think, oh, if I saw Jesus, if I saw those miracles, 
right? 5,000, 4,000 fed miraculously. Where were they? At the foot of the cross. Gone. The thousands, if not millions, led out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. Moses has gone for a week up the mountain, and what do they do? Let's find a golden calf. Right? We forget on purpose that this all belongs to the Lord and start to believe that all this really belongs to us. And we start to say, but we're children of God. We're all children of God, which is a lie. We're not children of God. We're creatures like ducks and geese, except we've been made in the image of God. So we have the ability, if we will, to discern his will, to see creation, to get revelation, and to know right from wrong, and to actually do it, to sacrifice selfishness, to lay down our lives for our friends, which is the heart of righteousness. Which everybody knows, that to lay down our lives is the essence of goodness. But if we forget about God, and we forget about Jesus, then we can take all that for ourselves. We can take that sonship, we can take that heirship and say, no, all this really does belong to me, and I'll do with it as I selfishly desire. And then finally the Lord says, what will he do with these tenants? And the tenants themselves, the religious authorities answer, and they answer very boisterously, right? What do they say that he's going to do? They say he will put those wretches to a miserable death. And let out the vineyard to other tenants. Which of course is exactly what the Lord would do. He would allow people to get the consequences that they choose. If they choose selfishness, he'll allow them. Because the Lord is a gentleman. He's not going to force righteousness and the goodness and beauty that comes from that on us. He will allow us to choose selfishness if we wish. And to get the consequences of it. And he adds on top of this now this this next metaphor, which is the metaphor of building. So the Lord is building something in his vineyard. He's, he's got a building project, and he's got a cornerstone, right? The cornerstone in a, in a masonry building project is, of course, at the corner, and it's the foundation upon which all the other stones are placed, right? It sets the level of the building. It's secure. It's strong. And it, it's according to the cornerstone that the walls are laid out. When we're going to lay out our line, we're going we're to draw our string and we're going to find out where is this line, where is this wall going to go, we start with the cornerstone. And that's how we build our lives, right? We set our lives upon Christ, upon His foundation, upon His promises, upon His ways, and then we don't look to each other. We don't look to, to the world. We look to Christ and we say, and how am I building my life according to Christ, right? And then along the way, we're going to see, oh, look, there's other stones that are being laid according to Him. I see how others are doing it, how they're looking to Christ and following Him. And if the choice is either to build ourselves and our lives upon that cornerstone or to trip over it. One way or the other, because when we don't recognize what the cornerstone is for, we're not looking for it and focusing upon it, we're very likely just to walk over it and trip on it and to be destroyed by it. And Jesus says, this is our choice. We can either build our lives upon the cornerstone, or we can be crushed by it. But those are the only two choices. So the question for us is, how do we do this? How do we live these lives? How is it that we're supposed to, to focus on the corner, cornerstone? And how are we supposed to, to alert our minds and to change them? How are we supposed to live with what attitude? 
And St. Paul, in answer to this question, gives us two more metaphors, right? He gives us the metaphor of, of, of sports, right? And he gives us the metaphor of, of coming into uh, immigration into a kingdom, becoming citizens, immigrating into a new kingdom. And so he says, um, when we are at sports, and he says this in Philippians chapter 3, he says, we press on towards the goal, the prize. Right? When we're running a race, we are focused upon the prize. We're focused upon the goal. And we know what it is that we're doing. We know how it is that we're going to get there. Right? And when you see somebody who's really disciplined in this life, focused upon the goal and the prize, their life almost seems to walk in slow motion. It, it, the example that I love, as you know, is Usain Bolt, right? The fastest man in the world. If you see Usain Bolt run and you just look at him, he doesn't look like he's running as fast as everybody else because his technique is so involved. He starts out low and then he slowly raises up until the very end of the race. He's in a really high arc and his legs are moving longer than all the other racers. It's so disciplined and it's so matter of fact. It's a, a beautiful thing. He's not just running the same speed the whole time, right? He knows how to get there and he's been thinking about how to get there. That goal is totally overwhelming him and he's watching other racers and he's willing to be coached, right? Somebody asked him, are you going to come back for the next Olympics? And he said, I asked my coach. Wait a minute. You're the fastest guy in the world, right? You're the, you're the guy. Why would you ask anybody else? But he humbled himself and he submitted himself to the coach and the coach said, you, you can't do it. Your time is over. He had the humility to listen to a mentor. And that's the race that we're running. That's when we're lining our lives up according to the cornerstone. We're looking to see how all these other stones are set. And we're going to see some beautiful stones along the way. We're going to see the saints who have come before us. Those who have run the race before us. And we're going to say, well that was beautifully run. That was amazingly done. And we're going to see men and women. We're going to see young and old. We're going to see married and single. We're going to see rich and poor. We're going to see smart and the not so smart. In other words, people like us that we can relate to, who have been where we've been, who have done what we've done, and yet have lined their lives up according to the will of God, have established themselves upon the cornerstone, who have run the race, who have kept their eyes on the prize and have achieved the goal, and we can say, oh, that's how the race is run. And how we become immigrants in this new country. He says um, that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. He is coming here to us, and we are becoming citizens of heaven. We're being transformed, we're being sanctified, we're being deified, we're being made one with God. And we look to all those who are citizens in heaven with us. We are not a ghetto people. We're not holding ourselves off. Right, But we are establishing ourselves in the community. Right, We're integrating ourselves into the country of heaven. And so to do that, to integrate ourselves, we've got to look and say, how do they walk and how do they talk and how do they eat and how do they operate their businesses and how do they raise their children. Right, And St. Paul says, imitate me. Which some people think, oh, that's really presumptuous. Right, Saying, imitate me. Well, guess what? You're being imitated no matter what. People are looking at you and deciding whether they're going to do it like you 
no matter what. And many people are going to imitate you, especially children and grandchildren and some neighbors and some people that for whatever reason just decide, I'm going to follow this person, are imitating us. And we should take that with as much seriousness and contemplation as we can, knowing that people are watching us to see how to live their lives. This is why I never put a Christian bumper sticker on my car. Because I'm a terrible driver. I don't want them to look at that and say, Oh, there goes one of those Christians cutting me off again. Right? Because I know people are watching. Right? They're watching us. And we have to be about the business of running the race and imitating those citizens in heaven. Our God is a garden, but he is not an ornamental one. He is not raising ornamental flowers. He is producing a crop, and he expects love and justice and righteousness. He's not an owner of pets. He is a raiser of flocks, and he expects to bring to market healthy and good sheep who are obedient to the voice of the shepherd. May we be those sheep obedient in love. May we live lives that produce a crop of righteousness, of true love, that would bring glory to the name of our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen.